Praise be to God. It's good to be here. I was thinking, you know, we should call ourselves the disciples or something because there's 12 of us here this morning. <laughs> oh, I don't know who Judas is. <laughs> yeah, who wants to play Judas? <laughs> now, let's say it's after that, right, when they, they elected another, another one to replace, to replace Judas. It's great to be here. I was just reminded uh, this morning as we were worshipping the, the pattern that we believe God gave us for Ignite Life Church Gold Coast, which was to, to build our, our experience around worship, communion, word and community. And uh, we've been doing that now since we started meeting in our home uh, in February 2016. And I still feel that that's an expression of the heart of God, and it's one way in which we build relationship with Him through worship, through taking communion together, through partaking of His Word, through our discussion points each uh, Sunday, and also through enjoying community because God Himself is community. So, we're up to that part of our time together where we have a look at the Word of God and I've just had this thing on my heart for the last week or so. And uh, often, you know, that's because God's wanting me to understand something. And uh, because you come on Sundays, you get to hear what it is that God's showing me. And um, it's really been on my heart to answer the question, what is the new covenant all about? In a few weeks' time, I'll be teaching a class in economics. And there's about, oh, I guess there, there could be as many as 50 students in that class. 28 of them are Hindus. Long story behind that, but 28 of them are Hindus. What am I going to say if a group of them come up to me and ask me this question? You say that you live under the new covenant initiated by this God of yours. What, it's all, what is it all about? What am I going to say? And uh, that was a bit of a challenge for me because we talk about the new covenant all the time. In fact, every time we take communion, we're celebrating, we're remembering, we're making a prophetic statement about the new covenant. But if someone came up to any of us and said, Will you tell us what's in this new covenant of yours? What would we actually say? One thing we could say is, well, the New Testament is the new covenant. How many people are going to go and read all of that to find out what's in the new covenant? I mean, it's longer than the Aveo contracts, which used to run to... You've heard about Aveo? A bit of an expose on, on this uh, company that run retirement villages. They used to have a contract that was 172 pages long. Well, most old people would never get to the end of 172 pages without falling asleep, would they? I don't think I could. Well, the New Covenant, if you, get, if you tell people it's here in the New Testament, that's more than 172 pages long. People are not going to read it. So what would we say if we were asked about this New Covenant? Well, actually, it's going to take me a little while to get through it. And we're going to spend this week and next week focusing on what is actually in the new covenant. What it is that, in a sense, we've signed up to 
as Christians, people who have said we are followers of Jesus, we're building relationship with God through him. This week I want to focus on what you might call the physical provision in the new covenant. And next week I want to move on to the spiritual provision in the new covenant. Most people who write about it or who speak about the new covenant do focus on the spiritual aspect of it, the, the nature of this transformation that we undergo, this new creation that we become. But God is not only interested in our ultimate destiny, he's not only interested in the spiritual nature of humanity, he's actually a God who cares about the physical world as well. And incidentally, that's one thing that makes Christianity different to many other, Christ many other uh, religions, because not only do we have a focus on the afterlife, we also have a focus on the here and now life. And so this morning I'm going to focus primarily on the here and now life. Next Sunday I want to talk about the spiritual aspects of the new covenant. We find in Jeremiah, primarily chapter 31, but you probably should read chapter 30 as well, the covenant is actually pretty nicely outlined in those two chapters, particularly the latter half of Jeremiah chapter 31. So we see the promise of the new covenant set out in the book of the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah lived either side of 600 BC. His ministry ran for about uh, 40 years or so. Uh, he would have known King Josiah, the good king. He would have been there when the scripture was rediscovered. Remember Josiah? Under his reign, the, the books of the law were rediscovered and they were read to the people and Josiah turned the whole nation around. Jeremiah would have witnessed that. He also would have witnessed how the kingdom degenerated and split into Israel and Judah um, under the sons of Josiah. He saw the exiling of uh, Israel. He, he would have been aware, for example, that Daniel had been carried off into Babylonian captivity. So he lived at a time when there was a lot of turmoil experienced by Israel. And he was one who was chosen by God to speak to the people. And one of the features we see with most of the prophets is that they call sin what it is and they warn of the consequences of sin, but they also always remind the people that God will never let them go. And time and time again, God brought Israel back. Time and time again, despite their unfaithfulness, despite their going after idols, God always brought Israel back. And we see that so often towards the end of each of the books of the prophets. So we're going to focus on Jeremiah chapter 31 in our discussion point this morning. The actual covenant, of course, was provided by God in Jesus. 
and we'll have a lot more to say about that next week. In fact, Jesus embodied the new covenant and we celebrate, remember, commemorate and prophesy about that every time we take communion. And one of the reasons why we are committed to having communion each Sunday is that we want to remind ourselves of the importance of the new covenant in Christ. In a sense, you know, God is saying, have I got a deal for you? We come out of the old covenant, the law, if you like, where Israel or man actually said, I will. Israel actually said, yep, we can do this. We actually want the law and we're going to live by the law. But guess what? We broke our word. In fact, if you look at the history of Israel, they broke their word over and over again, usually under poor leadership. The new covenant changes things. Under the new covenant, it's not man saying, I will, and then breaking his word. It's God saying, I will, and keeping his word forever and ever. Big shift in the underlying principle of the old and the new covenant. And I'd like to digress just briefly. The new covenant applies directly to Israel. And we see that not only in Jeremiah, but in some of the other prophets as well. The earliest Christians, of course, were Jewish. Christianity began in Jerusalem and then it spread out to other cities and to other nations. But the new covenant also applies to all gentle, gentle, all Gentile nations. That is, the New Testament church as well. God never has and never will abandon Israel or the Christian church. Now there's actually a particular uh, theological hermeneutic that explains how this can be. And uh, a simple way of explaining it is to acknowledge that all of these promises apply to the physical Israel, the nation of Israel. But God has extended all of these provisions to the Gentiles as well, forever and ever. It's a little bit like if I made a commitment to give Hani $100, right? Now, I'm not saying I'm going to. I just said, if I made a commitment, right? If I made a commitment to Hani to give her $100, and then I decided to give Liam $100, that's okay. As long as in giving Liam the $100, I don't rob Hani of the $100 that I had committed to giving her. All right? So this is the nature of the heart of God. He's giving to Israel what he promised Israel, but he's also extending that to all other nations, to anyone who wants to take the name of Christ. Now, actually, he never changed, because if you go back and look at the Old Testament law, Israel was to welcome in what they called sojourners, Sometimes they called them strangers. Some translations call them 
foreigners. But if you actually have a look at the Hebrew word that is translated sojourner or foreigner or stranger, it actually means somebody who has turned from their path and committed to becoming one of the local people. And it's a very similar concept to the New Testament concept of repentance, which literally means to turn around. So you could become one of Israel in the Old Testament times, and you could partake of the benefits of the blessings under the law if you were a sojourner, someone who was on a path and who had made a decision to turn around and to join Israel. In other words, to take on everything that Israel was. Now, without getting political, that's not multiculturalism. I won't say any more because everybody might walk out the door. But <laughs> what it's saying is for those people who have completely taken on that culture, they are under the same covenant. So in the old times, they came under the old covenant. Now people like us come under the new covenant. How can that be? Because we are ones who are on a path. We've made a choice to turn around and come under that provision that God has made. So there are some people who, who argue, of course, that the, the Christian church is the new Israel. And um, you might find some scriptural support for that. There are people I know personally who hold that belief. But generally speaking, the Christian church believes that God has not given up on Israel and he never will. And he didn't choose Israel, by the way, because they were a good bunch of people. They didn't even exist when he made his promise to Abraham. Right? He actually chose that one man and then through Abraham... Israel became a blessing in order to, sorry, Israel became blessed in order to be a blessing to the nations of the world. Now, I think it's important that you understand where I'm coming from on this, on this aspect because understanding this is an important foundation for understanding the nature of the new covenant. So now let me get to the main point, which is physical provision. Chapter 31 in Jeremiah is a long chapter. I'm not actually going to read it, but can I invite you to take some time over the next week or so to read carefully through Jeremiah chapter 30 and 31. I've got some references up here, some specific uh, references that lead to some comments. But you really need to read both of those chapters, I think, in order to get an appreciation of the nature of the covenant. So the first point that I'd like to draw your attention to is that in Jeremiah 31, verses 8 to 11 and 15 to 17, there's a gathering in of the people to the land. And the land here is the promised land. And in verses 38 to 40, there's a rebuilding of the cities or a rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. Now, in, in the book of Jeremiah, 
there is fulfilment because the exile wasn't um, a permanent exile. So historically, the promises that God made to Israel to bring them back to their land, that was fulfilled. That's already been fulfilled historically. And you could argue that it's actually been fulfilled historically twice because since 1948, people have been coming back to, to Israel. But it also has another prophetic meaning in terms of the end times and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you can have a little laugh. I know it's not me who's being funny. <laughs> but I, I, um, I want to draw your attention to this. As Christians, we also are being gathered. And uh, you know that I'm passionately committed uh, to the institutional church. The institutional church definitely doesn't get it right all the time. Um, I feel very comfortable being part of the Ignite Life uh, group of campuses. I feel very comfortable being part of Australian Christian churches. But I'm not saying that it's perfect. All I'm saying is I feel comfortable being part of it and that's why we, we go by the title Ignite Life Church Gold Coast, a member of um, ACC. But here we're talking about the church in general. For all its faults, for all the, the warts that the church has, nevertheless it is God's mechanism for bringing his people Together, So we, we get together here on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday night when it's not school holidays, for our Wednesday Connect or for our Sunday Connect. There will come a time when God is bringing people all over the earth back into his church. The results of the 2016 census were released uh, just this week and as many people expected, the proportion of Australians who ticked the box for one of the Christian denominations got smaller again. It dropped by about another 5%. Now, that's been going on for at least 100 years. And uh, you can look at that data and say the church is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Just a few months ago, the McCrindle Research Organisation did a survey and uh, that survey indicated that about 25% of Australians think of themselves as being Christian. So the census data is more like 60%. What the McCrindle research found was a lot of people tick the box Christian because they really think of themselves as being spiritual people. But the idea that they could have a personal relationship with the Lord just is very foreign to them. So about 25% of Australians say they are Christians. They, ident they, they identify when they're asked with Christianity. Only about 7% are uh, engaged in church. That is, only about 7% actually belong to the institutional church and express that belonging by being in church regularly on Sundays. And by that, they actually mean nearly every Sunday. Now, I saw some data from just a few years ago, similar type of survey, it was 9%. So that, if you like, the remnant church 
is getting smaller. Lots and lots of reasons for that. I mean, as soon as you walk out of here, you're going to be bombarded with messages that are not consistent with the Word of God. Because most of the messages we get out there are postmodern in nature, they're um, secular humanist in nature, where God has become man. We've deified ourselves and we're the most important thing in the universe. Well, I mean, talking about the individual is the most important thing in the universe. And we've fallen for all sorts of deceit, like what is good for me is right. What I believe to be true is true. And we've moved away from things like absolute truth that we find in the Word of God. And we've moved away from the idea that I'm not the centre of the universe, God is. So there are so many things that are pulling people away from regular connection with the institutional church. But prophetically, here in Jeremiah, what we read is God is going to bring the church back. Now you can look at the census data and that can make you feel discouraged. But I can tell you what, if you go to some other parts of the world Christianity is growing very rapidly. In South America, there's been massive shift, particularly in the Catholic Church, of people who are actually being born again and developing a daily personal relationship with God through Jesus. If you're going to Asia, there are very strong, growing Christian churches all over Asia, not just in China, but in many other Asian countries. Um, Korea is a particularly strong Christian country, having been evangelised originally by Presbyterians. And some of the biggest churches in Korea have Presbyterian roots. You go into Africa, and the church is growing there. Um, the Anglican church is growing very quickly. Pentecostal churches like Assemblies of God, which is where ACC is from, they're growing exponentially. What's actually happening in the world at the moment is that the locus of Christianity is moving from the West to South America, Asia and Africa. We need not feel as if we're on our own here. Now the other interesting thing is that Pentecostal churches are growing in Australia. ACC now has some 350,000 members and when they, they do a census every year, when they did their last census, on the day of the census there were 190,000 people in ACC churches. Um, C3, another Pentecostal denomination, they say there's about 100,000 people who are engaged. The other uh, Pentecostal denominations are, are, are pretty small. Um, in Australia with fewer than 20,000 uh, in each. But it's growing. It's growing very rapidly. There are some 1,200 ACC churches around Australia and they're planting 50, 100 every year now. They don't all succeed, but they are really planting a lot of churches. I believe that what we're seeing is that God is building an institution, an infrastructure that will draw people in. We will see the church grow again in Australia. 
The Pentecostal denominations, when you add them together, they are now the second largest denomination in Australia behind Catholics only. It used to go Catholic, Anglican, then a few others, and then Pentecostal. We're now the second largest. So there's this big shift going on. God is already bringing people back to the institutional church. And the, the church which is scattered out there, the, the ecclesia, right? it will grow stronger. It can only grow stronger as people come together in the context of the institutional church. What did Jesus say in Matthew 16, 18? He said, I will build my church. We're not building a church. The, the, um, the St. Hills and Circums, we're not building a church. God is building a church. We're, if you like, merely his vessels and privileged to be so. I will build my church. So just as God has promised to gather the Jews together to bring them back to the promised land, so too, God has promised that he's going to bring us into the church, which, if you like, is our Israel. The next thing I want to draw your attention to is Jeremiah 31, uh, verse 9. That's actually a long verse. But in the middle of that verse, there's a reference to rivers of waters. And uh, when I first read that, I'm wondering, well, what else do you put in a river? Like, like, duh, rivers, waters, they kind of go together, don't they? Have a look at the number of times that rivers and or water are used to represent health and well-being in the Bible. Over and over and over again. The river, water, is, a, is, if you like, a metaphor for health and for healing. So what we can be assured of in terms of the physical side of the new covenant is that we're going to be gathered, we're going to be healthy, and in fact, we're already under the new covenant, and I'll talk about when the new covenant started next week. But part of the deal is we have access to divine health. Because we have access, metaphorically speaking, to the river of water that God has created. Some time ago, it would have been probably about this time last year, one of our discussion points was titled, You are the healed, and I can't remember the exact title, but you, you are healed and Satan is trying to rob you of your health. You're not the sick trying to get well. All right? We are healed by the stripes that Jesus bore, right? That's actually, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Greek, that's past perfect tense. Um, it's actually a quote from, from the Hebrew, of course, in Isaiah. By his stripes, we were healed, past perfect tense. What that means is, we, as those who come under the new covenant, are entitled to perfect health. We're entitled to walk in divine health. Now, we also know that 
Satan is still on the loose. And he tries to rob us. And one of the things that he tries to rob us of is health. But when we are suffering from his attack, we can hit back with the terms of the new covenant. And I've had personally experiences of healing in my life. Jeanette's had experiences of healing. Many of us would have had experiences of healing. And you know that sometimes it's a long way from diagnosis to completion of the healing process. My own approach is to never give up. And uh, yes, I've prayed for people who have died. Yes, I've sat on the bed of a 13-year-old as he finally succumbed uh, to leukaemia. But I never gave up praying for him. I, a friend who died of um, cancer of the pancreas some years ago, he in the end he decided it was time to go. That was his choice, that's fine, but I never gave up. Other people stood around his bed praying, God, please take him. But see, I will never give up because I know what the covenant says. You might think that's arrogant. I don't deny the facts. I love to get a diagnosis. And uh, my wife, Jeanette, some years ago was diagnosed with celiac disease. We still believe that she will be healed. But I tell you what, the day she was diagnosed, I rejoiced because... She was withering away. She was dying. Early 2004, God gave me a word for Jeanette. It was one word, vitality. That was in February of 2004. So we stood on that word, and we stood on that word, and we stood on that word. In September 2004, she received a diagnosis. I rejoiced because we had a name to put to her ailment. And by the way, she's never been the same since. And it's very easy, of course, to deal with celiac disease through, through diet. But we still believe she is going to experience healing because it's in the covenant. It's part of the physical provision of the covenant. I've, I've been healed of, of recurring cysts in my mouth. And I can remember, I, uh, I said, Lord... I don't want to spend any more money on specialists getting these things dealt with. I just want to be healed, and I was. And I haven't been back to a specialist with that um, complaint since 1994. And I bet it costs a lot more to go to a specialist to have it dealt with now. And look, I don't have any great um, testimonies of being healed from life-threatening cancer or, or anything like that. But I'm a healthy bloke. In fact, I went to see my doctor a couple of weeks ago, and um, he said, how are you going? I said, I'm going very well, thank you. How are you? I haven't seen you for two and a half years or however long it was. And um, I just had a minor thing to deal with. He said, look, that's all good. You don't have anything to worry about. Then he said, well, I think we better do a few checks anyway. You haven't been in for a while. So you know how they do all the checks for prostate cancer and high cholesterol and everything else under the sun. They can't find anything. Now, that doesn't give me reason to boast, that gives me reason to be grateful that I have the covenant. So we have access to this river of water, the river of waters that brings healing to 
our bodies. The next that I'd like to draw your attention to is Jeremiah verse 31, sorry, chapter 31, verse 12, and then verses 23 to 24. And these actually relate to being productive and seeing our herds and flocks increase. And this is about wealth or material blessing. So under this covenant, the physical provision, one, we're going to be gathered together into the church. Two, we have health. And three, we have wealth under the covenant. This is a promise that God made, not only to Israel, but to the New Testament church as well. Let me just read verse 12 from chapter 31. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and new wine and oil, for the young of the flock and the herd. Their soul shall be like a well-watered garden, and they shall sorrow no more at all. And if we look at verses 23 to 24, I just love this because I'm an economist, so I'm really drawn to this kind of thing. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, they shall again use this speech in the land of Judah and in its cities when I bring back their captivity. The Lord bless you, they will say, O home of justice and mountain of holiness, and there shall dwell in Judah itself and in all its cities together farmers and those going out with flocks. For I have satiated the weary soul and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. Isn't that just something worth meditating on? That under the new covenant, one of the physical provisions of the new covenant is that we would experience wealth. Guess what? Satan tries to rob us of our wealth. He's, he's prowling around like a lion. He's trying to pick us off. But the provision under the covenant that Jesus shed his blood for is that we have access to wealth. Now notice in those verses... It, wealth did not come in the form of manna or quails falling from heaven. I'm actually a strong believer in the whole, what I call the theology of work. I think generally wealth comes as we roll up our sleeves and get creative with God. That it doesn't come to those who sit on their backsides and believe that they can somehow conjure up wealth by simply applying what they see as faith. Faith is not just a confession, it is an action as well. Let me turn now to the, the final um, physical provision under the new covenant, and that is joy. If you have a look at verses 13 and 14, you'll see references there to great joy, to, to dancing. Uh, dancing in, in the Old Testament imagery was always associated with an outpouring of joy. And uh, many people, I guess, have tried to define uh, joy, but I think in this concept, uh, context, we might define joy as irrepressible happiness and gratitude. Happiness itself is ephemeral, 
but gratitude is something which we can hold permanently in our hearts. And I don't, I don't know how many times I've kind of gone to bed at night just saying, God, I am so grateful for everything that you have provided for me. Because my life could have turned out very differently if I had not accepted the new covenant by saying yes to the great invitation that Jesus issued with those wonderful words, come, follow me. So there we have the physical provision under the covenant of the New Testament, the new covenant. We can be confident that God is gathering us in. We can be confident that God has provided for our good health. We can be confident that God has provided for our wealth, for our material well-being. And we can be confident that God will be our source of joy, of irrepressible happiness and <coughs> gratitude. I think that's a pretty good deal. I think that's a pretty good deal. Let me tell you, there's a little bit of empirical research. Um, again, I apologise because I'm an economist. I can't help myself. But there is now very good solid research that has been through proper academic processes that demonstrates that the growth of the Pentecostal uh, denominations in Africa has actually led to economic growth and development. And you know why? It's because the doctrine of Pentecostalism is this doctrine itself and all the spiritual things as well that we'll talk about next week. But when I was researching for this little series, one of the things I noticed was that most of the people who write about the New Covenant only talk about the spiritual side of the New Covenant, which is vitally important. I absolutely believe that, and you'll see why next week. But most of them totally neglect what you might call the physical provision of the New Covenant. They neglect the idea that God wants us to be together in community. They neglect the idea that God has made provision for our health. They reject or ignore the idea that God has made provision for our wealth, and they neglect the idea that these things will underpin or become a foundation for joy in this life. But we see now empirical evidence, research-based evidence, that this side of the covenant can actually lead whole nations forward in terms of their capacity to meet the material needs of their people. And when you think about it, all that is, is a manifestation of Jeremiah chapter 31. What we're witnessing in the world today, in those countries where there's explosive growth in Pentecostal churches, what we're witnessing is Jeremiah 31 coming to pass. 
Of course, it will come to its full fruition with the second coming of Jesus. But right now, we're moving toward that point because of the faith that we have in the shed blood of Jesus and the grace of God that lies behind it. And I think on that note, we should go and enjoy some material blessings 